This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk Guardians of the Galaxy, beat the dead horse of Marvel's Avengers, Disney announces a much-anticipated sequel to Earth to Echo, and more. Stay tuned for another galaxy-guarding episode of TBM. I'm Groot. I'm Jason Simmons, and I am Groot. I'm Jordan Walkup, and Jackson is Groot. Folks, we are of course talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, but not the movie ones that you already know and love. The video game ones, which you're gonna, which you're gonna know and love. Jeez, I screwed that one up bad. <laughs> Leave it in. Leave it in. This is a third-person sci-fi action adventure game thing where you play as star lord the leader of the guardians of the galaxy and this is a different guardians of the galaxy it's not the ones from the movies but it's all the same members you know and love this time around the five are uh, a newly formed team and they've just been together for several months they're just out trying to make ends meet flying in some restricted spaces accidentally unleash a terrible evil that's going to take over the universe they get caught by the police have to go give a monster to a monster lady and hilarity ensues so that's guardians of the galaxy want to start you guys off with a couple questions here first and foremost like there is some heavy heavy influence from James Gunn's depiction of the Guardians of the Galaxy going into these characters. But I'd still say there are some, you know, pretty big distinctions. How did you guys feel about this version of the Guardians? Like, both as a team and as the individual members? I think, personally, I like them more. But I think that's also because, you know, in the MCU, we've only had them for probably, like, a total of, I don't know, six hours or so. And this is a 16-hour game. <laughs> so you spend a lot more time with them. So it's kind of hard to tell, for me at least, if I prefer them better than the movie versions. But they are, for the most part, pretty similar. Especially Rocket Raccoon, who I think is pretty much just the one from the movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're trying real hard to make them that way. I, I think, for the most part, they wanted it to be... The characters are all similar enough to their movie counterparts where you can come in after having seen one of the movies or, you know, just reading one of the comics and you'll be like, oh, I'm pretty familiar with all these characters and the way that they act, interact with each other. But then I I think they make some subtle differences to a lot of the characters that kind of make them more (laughs) likable. Yeah, absolutely. Especially Star-Lord. Because, like, Star-Lord in the MCU is really dumb. And this Star-Lord at least kind of has things together. It's more like this Star-Lord is just kind of doing everything by the seat of his pants. Whereas the original, not the original, the the Star-Lord from the movies uh, just happens to get lucky all the time. 
Yeah, like he stumbles into both his problems and the solutions. Whereas this version of Star-Lord might stumble into his problems, but he has to actually use his brain to, you know, sort of get out of those problems. Which I think was a really good decision, because if we were dealing with these characters one for one as their movie counterparts, who are much more caricature-esque, I think it would have been incredibly grating. But since we got a little more nuanced depiction of the characters... They weren't quite as annoying. You actually wanted to get to know more about them, which the game gives you a ton of options to do. And I think just overall, they're more pleasant. There are certainly still scraps between the team members, even more so than in the movies, but none of them are just comic relief or just meant to be, you know, they they don't all just fill one very specific role on the team, which I think they kind of do in the movies. Yeah, and to kind of add on to that, saying that the movies influenced the characters in the game, it's not really painting the whole picture, because the movies completely changed how they were in the comics, even. And, like, a big example of that is when the Guardians of the Galaxy were in the cartoon Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes. Uh, First off, Gamora wasn't even there. (laughs) It was Quasar instead. I don't think Drax was either. Yeah, I don't think Drax was. Rocket Raccoon had a thick English accent. Star-Lord was voiced by Steve Downs. Yeah, the Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief. And it's, even in the comics these days, you can definitely tell that they actually have an idea of what they want the characters in the Guardians to be like. They have a more defined team, you know, because the comics tend to stick with the team from the movies now as well. They created more interesting characters. Because I think it's really obvious if you go back and look through, especially Star-Lord's history, they had no idea what they wanted to do with it. Originally, he was like, Space Jesus? Like, Immaculate Conception <laughs> was chosen by, like, the Sun Lord or the Lord of the Sun or something like that to, like, be this hero. Uh, and now he's, like, just a guy that got kidnapped, more or less, in some stories. And then others, he's the son of a alien ruler like i guess what i'm saying is star lord doesn't really have a defined enough history to really say one way or another what's going on with him at any given time but regardless as a totally standalone entity i think his depiction in this game is is really solid i think it really lays out who he is what his motivations are and what brought him to where he is in a really smart way that simultaneously explains why he is the way he is but isn't as predictable as you'd expect. It, it walks a lot of very fine lines. You know, this is a third-person action-adventure with some shooting mechanics type. Like, it's an action-centric game for sure. But I think, for me, one of the strongest parts of the game comes from the dialogue. And I'm not necessarily saying the story, which is still good, but specifically the way the characters talk to each other. And there is constant chatter between the teammates. They are they are talking the entire game. <laughs> um, so what did you guys think of the dialogue? And were there any really standout moments from that? I, I thought that there was quite a few pretty good dialogue moments. I'm going to go ahead and step on Jackson's toes and <laughs> bring up... There's a, there's a pretty good moment, emotionally and character-wise, between Star-Lord and Drax pretty early on in the game where Drax is talking about the afterlife and what happened to his family. And you really get to kind of see the differences that Star-Lord and Drax have on their thoughts on the, especially on the afterlife, because Drax is very much of the mindset that his family didn't die in an honorable way. So they just stopped existing. (laughs) 
And Star-Lord's like, no, that that's not okay, basically. It, it's kind of interesting because uh, you'd expect normally in a lot of games that you would just go over and by the end of the conversation, the characters would come to an agreement. But this game doesn't really shy away from just, at least for me, I'm sure that there are different ways that you can go through the conversation, but when I finished that conversation... Both characters were less happy. Yeah, it doesn't always have to end in like an amicable, well, let's agree to disagree thing. Sometimes it's just they leave with some awkward tension still there. It, it's complex and like not all arguments have a solution. And, you know, sometimes you can try and help somebody and you just don't have the capacity to do it. And I think that there were moments like that that showed it, which were, were very cool. For me, a, a really interesting dynamic that's explored in this game a little bit is the one between Gamora and Mantis because in the in the movie those two characters have basically no overlap like there are very few scenes that feature the two of them prominently together but in the game it's revealed as pretty much as soon as you meet Mantis that Gamora and Mantis have like a pretty long history together and you sort of Gamora tries to really downplay it yeah, we knew each other from a while ago, and I don't want to talk about it. But then, like, once it starts coming back up in the story, you find out, like, how dependent she actually was on Mantis at one point in her life, and, like, how important they are to each other. And it felt very genuine. Like, there was an awkwardness and a reclusiveness to Gamora where she didn't want to talk about it, but then when it became more important, then suddenly she's gushing about all these times they had together. I thought that was really cool, and it was also a really big part of Gamora's uh, character development, because she probably has the least screen time of of the team, other than maybe Groot, because he can't really talk. <laughs> yeah, I do really like that it feels as though all the characters have relationships with each other, whereas something that I kind of don't like about the movies is it feels like the only relationships that are really explored are their relationship with Star-Lord. But I, I think the game does a good job of showing the relationship between, you know, characters like Drax and Gamora, or I guess Drax is the big one that gets expanded on a lot, because he's just comic relief in the movie. Especially in Guardians 2. Yeah. I, I think, like, you see the relationship even between, like, Groot and some of the other Guardians. I mean, obviously there can't be too much talking in that relationship, considering Groot can only say one line of dialogue and the only person that understands it is Rocket. But I, I just don't think they shy away from having interactions with characters other than Star-Lord, which I think is pretty neat. I also really like how all the dialogue in missions is kind of the characters giving their thoughts and opinions on the mission. And sometimes, like, they'll pose a question to Star-Lord that he has to answer, and sometimes your answer will influence, like, what you end up doing. Like, it's a pretty early on decision where you have to decide, like, okay, well, we need to sell one of the team members as a monster. And it's like, well, do we sell Groot <laughs> or do we sell Rocket? And what you pick in that fundamentally changes the next mission. Like, it's a big change. I went back and just did that one twice to see what the difference was, and it was a much bigger deviation than I ever expected it to be. Yeah, and there, there are a couple of decisions throughout the game that are kind of like that. None of them are quite as big as I would hope. It doesn't really seem like there are any decisions that you make that affect the overarching plot, but I, I do think it's kind of neat how your decision will decide this next mission's going to be stealth, or maybe it'll be loud and explosive, and you don't necessarily know what you're 
you don't necessarily know what your decision is going to lead to either. There was actually a really interesting thing that happened with that this last week, and I'm kind of glad that recording got delayed so I could sort of see this play out, but was watching Jackson play for a little while, and he was pretty far in the game, and it was a mission I had played recently, but I just didn't remember the part he was on whatsoever, and we were like kind of discussing it back. You know, what decisions do you make in this level? Which ones could have led to this? And like 30 minutes later, it just clicked with me. What had changed was a decision that was made like a few missions prior with a char- with a character that you wouldn't have even thought would be related to this scene. But then I was just like, oh yeah, this character didn't show up like they did for me. Like that must be where the change came from. So like some of it carries over more than I anticipated. It's not just linked to the individual mission like I expected it to be. Still no like major curveballs for the overarching narrative, but you can definitely get where you're going a couple different ways in this game. So Jackson, you've finished the game now. Tell us about that story. What'd you think? I like it. It shows off a lot of interesting characters. It shows off some better depictions of characters we've already seen before. My my biggest gripe, and I'm not going to spoil it, it's just the ending, not very good. <laughs> not narratively speaking, I just, I really don't like the last chapter of this game from like a mechanic, like a mechanical standpoint. It's not a mechanically good boss fight either. It's kind of weird what happened with the story there too, <laughs> but other than that, I think it is a pretty good story. A lot of good moments for like action pieces and character moments just throughout the entire thing that's just vague enough to be a good (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to get into any specifics (laughs) yeah and it's hard not to because i think that the lat the back like third of the game goes some really cool directions but i don't want to even spoil like what the general thing you're trying to do is because it's very spoiler intensive but i will say what's really smart about the story is they find themselves in some pretty serious predicaments, like some world-ending predicaments, and all their solutions, like the ways they figure out how to solve a problem, are all very Guardians. Like, they all feel very natural to how the characters would act. There's one scene where they have to bypass a bunch of ships. So uh, what Rocket does is he takes Quill's Walkman and sets it to a like a channel and just throws it out on the space and all the ships just start going for it and they're able to get by then <laughs> like a lot of the, a lot of scenes are those type of quote unquote antics i guess you could say <laughs> that all feel very true to the team and i think that that's delivered on really well pretty much through the whole story it still gets pretty heavy like you get into some backstory stuff that's pretty tough but for the most part the way they find themselves wrapped up in some weird situations and the way they get out of them always feel very genuine. Yeah, I think the story does a good job of kind of exploring all of the different characters on the team. I guess I would have probably liked to have seen a little bit more exploration into Gamora and yeah. Groot, yeah. who definitely feel like they kind of get the short end of the stick. Uh, yeah. Narratively. I feel like Gamora specifically, because Groot is kind of hard to work with with the fact Groot's got a pretty interesting backstory though like his whole thing is that he's the uh he's the last of his kind yeah but he's also like the runt of the litter from his planet but when he leaves his planet he pretends to be like the king of the planet and since none of the other (laughs) none of the other creatures have ever left planet x like people just believe him and he ends up 
hooking up with uh, Rocket, and they end up doing a whole bunch of bounty hunting together. In the in the comics, at least, like the the way that the Guardians got a lot of their legitimacy in the beginning was because Groot was a member of the team, and everyone thought he was the king of Planet X. <laughs> when in reality, he had been kicked off the planet. Yeah, I do think you're definitely right that Groot and Gamora are definitely the ones that get the least character development. It's not to say it's totally lacking. Like, I still think a few of the best scenes in the game are Gamora-centric, but they're definitely shorter than, like, Drax, for example, who you get multiple chapters just dedicated to his backstory and how he's grappling with it. Yeah. yeah. you get The game doesn't shy away from exploring, like, Drax's loss of his family, as well as Star-Lord's. The way that... Their family dynamics kind of affected who they are as a person. It talks a lot about, like, Star-Lord's time with the Ravagers. I I wish it could have kind of explored that time period a little bit more. Like, Yondu isn't in the game at all, but his name is dropped probably 400 times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff like that. Because, like, you know, a lot of Star-Lord's, you know, space family stuff has not gone into a whole lot. And then there's some, like, other... Like big name side characters like Nova, who are mentioned a few times, it leaves a lot of stuff to go into in future DLC or sequels and or stuff. I'd honestly, Which, I think it'd be really cool if we got a game about Nova. Yeah, I don't even necessarily care which one, whether it's uh, Richard Ryder or his son Sam, whatever Sam's last name is. Like, I I think that that's a cool character to, in, to explore and like they established that richard rider isn't actually connected to the world mind like he just generates his own nova force so you can have like an interesting story where they're interacting with the nova core but they're not you know actually part of it or being controlled by it in any way plus nova's just a pretty cool character in general yeah and hasn't really gotten enough representation in like major marvel stuff movies comics tv shows anything lately. his most recent depiction in anything other than comics is the ultimate spider-man tv show that show was awesome by the way go check it out (laughs) but that this actually makes me think about something that i really appreciate about this game that i didn't i hadn't thought about before you know you mentioned it, it talking about yondu and his time with the ravagers and We heard a lot about Rocket's backstory and how it was experimented on without actually seeing it. Like, those are all things that I really want to see explored more, but the game didn't also cram it in there in, like, a sequel-baity way. It left me wanting more, but not, like, beating me over the head with it. Like, it didn't pull a Marvel... Like, it didn't pull an MCU thing where after the credits it's just like oh and there's gonna be a sequel and it's gonna be about this character (laughs) like it's just like you hear these names of interesting people dropped and you think like wow i'd like to see them but it's never like it never leads you to thinking like oh they're definitely coming it's just that's how they would talk about the world it's it's kind of reminded me of cerberus in mass effect one yeah the the kind of breadcrumbs that they drop about cerberus and mass effect one are pretty interesting I, I wish that some of that stuff had been more mandatory. Guardians actually reminds me a lot of Mass Effect in general. It's very story-focused with a lot of the focus of the game, too, being your relationship with your teammates. And it's got a you know an ability-based character control gameplay. Not, not loop, but like style. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Plus, it's sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> 
actually reminds me a lot of God of War. Because it's a lot about your relationship with your teammates, and you have a stat-based <laughs> skill system. The, the world-building in Guardians, though, just to kind of finish that up. Like, I, I think it's really good. It definitely feels like a lived-in galaxy, universe, whatever. Like, it yeah. doesn't feel as though... I, I think a lot of the first games in series feel kind of... Uh, the world seems like it was boring before the game started in a lot of games. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. not necessarily Mass Effect, but in, in... I mean, I guess Mass Effect's a fine example. In the first Mass Effect, it doesn't really seem like anything... Like, those people were just doing the most boring stuff imaginable. Yeah. Nah, I guess that's not true, because they establish... They do pretty good about establishing, like, wars and stuff. I, I don't know. It, it, my problem with a lot of games, and maybe a better example would just be talking about, like, how the Guardians are handled in the MCU... It doesn't really seem like anything important happened in space until the Guardians showed up. Yeah, I can kind of see that. And I think that this game does a really good job of showing, like, stuff has happened. There are other heroes out there, like, these characters have done stuff before. It's not as if they just got here or anything. Like, a big thing that's talked about a lot is 12 years prior to the events of this game, there was a giant galactic war. Yeah, and almost, well, no, all of the Guardians were involved in that war. Right. Not working together or anything. But they all have, like, a history with the galaxy. They're aware of galactic politics, and they've taken part in some of it. And uh, I don't know if this is a spoiler. It might have to be cut out. But even, like, the main villain has a connection to the galactic war in this. Yeah, like, I think everything sort of ties back to that in a way that feels authentic. Like, not that they're forcing in all this history, but that they are letting this history actually inspire how the characters act and what they need to do. It, like, a, you can tell a lot of Star-Lord's motivation comes from his time in the war. And, like, that's not really... You definitely don't get that much depth with Chris Pratt's Star-Lord. Whether that's on Chris Pratt or not, I, I won't judge, but... I think that's <laughs> more of just there. the writing. I, it's yeah, not even necessarily yeah. a writing. It's just, it's an issue with film versus video games. It's so much easier to fit in all this backstory and stuff organically than it would yeah, be to yeah. fit it in in a two-hour film. Yeah. <laughs> like, two hours into this game is really just when you get the first hint of, like, what the story will be about. Yeah. First Guardians absolutely. movie's over by then. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now, the, the way I think about this game is it's split down the middle. Like, everything we just talked about was sort of half of it. You know, your character work, your story, uh, the world building, all that stuff is sort of one half of the game. The other half of the game is the combat. And it's a bit more divisive, and it's a little bit difficult to explain in one swoop. But I'll, I'll, I'll try here. <laughs> it's third-person shooter mechanics but the bigger part of it is that while you're in combat you can sort of pause time and give commands to your teammates so like you're playing it like a shooter and then you'll stop and be like Gamora hit this guy or Drax hit that guy and that has a much bigger impact on the fight than just what you are doing as Star-Lord like realistically Star-Lord's Star quite a bit weaker than the other members of the Guardians and that sort of played on with how he has to depend on the other moves. Yeah. So, like, it's shooter in you know at its core, but it's more like a 
I don't know, almost like a tactical, like it's more about planning out your moves with your other teammates than it is about just who you're shooting because your guns just genuinely don't do that much damage until you have basically every possible upgrade for them. You brought it up already, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The upgrade system in this game sucks. It feels very tacked on. I think there's only like two or three abilities in the entire tree that actually, or not tree, it's just a list uh, that doesn't get expanded on at any point in the game. Just from the yeah, very yeah. first time you can access a workbench, you can get any of the abilities. Yep. Which kind of, it makes the progression just seem random and all over the place. Yeah, because yeah. some upgrades will just be like, you have higher shields. And then other upgrades will be like, if you dodge at the right time, then time will slow down and you'll do more damage. <laughs> There's definitely no consistency in the in the quality of them. It's also weird because they're they're fairly cheap. I think I had every ability by like maybe sixty percent of the way into the game. So like almost half the game I had all the upgrades. So like that feels a little too Yeah. I think not only should have there been like a better like upgrades tree, but the abilities tree for your guardians. It was just, it was essentially just like Every guardian has an ability that costs one point, one that costs two, one that costs three, and one you get through the story. I think they should have had like actual skill trees for it for each individual guardians. No, I I liked the abilities. I think I would like for it to either be more like they expand upon the abilities more, like you can do more with them. They have more upgrade options. They're more customizable. Like they just give you more options. Or B, yeah. they just make it. They cut all that all together, and they just make your like power progression more linked to the story. Like either yeah. one of those ways can work just fine, and they went with a weird middle ground that's not great in either regard. I thought it was good the way that they handled the guardians' abilities because you get to decide how your team. You can decide which abilities you want to prioritize for each guardian because it'll let you read and see what it's going to do ahead of time. You know, yeah. it's not like it's it's not like it's random or anything. Yeah, so yeah. if you want Gamora to be able to do damage to several enemies instead of you know just one, then you can buy that ability. Or if you want Groot to be able to knock people up in the air and put a damage multiplier on them instead of just uh, entangling them, like you have those options. And I, I think it's pretty nice. The bigger issue is that some of the abilities just plain suck. Yeah, there's yeah. one I just I never even used. Or it's not even necessarily that they suck. It's just that every guardian has one ability that's just significantly better than all of their other abilities. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's it's also strange because they're all on their own distinct cooldown. So there's really just there's no incentive to do Drax's rush thing because he already has one really good damage one and a rage thing that's significantly better than his other moves. So like. I'm just never going to use that. And then Rocket has two moves that are just grenades, and one of them does a little bit more damage, but the other one is like an AoE gravity thing that does damage and moves enemies, and like that's just significantly better than just grenade. So like, I don't know. It, I could almost see it working a little better if each one had their own cooldowns, but I guess then you would just be like constantly doing abilities like to the point where it's hard to keep up with. Yeah, and I, I think that since you have to buy abilities individually, and it does take a little bit of time to buy each Guardian's ability, I, I think it gives you a good time, a good amount of time to kind of get a hang of how you're going to use that ability, and if it's worth using as much as one of the other abilities in their arsenal. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. And having to sort of actually pick it out yourself and, you know, use use points you spend on it makes you prioritize it a little bit more. Whereas I think if they just rolled out at, like, narrative points, you know, I wouldn't feel as in control. So I still don't think they did quite enough with it, but I, I get why they went the route they did. And speaking of prioritizing, I think there's no sort there's no enemy prioritizing system in this game. Like you can't tell your teammates focus on this enemy. You can just tell them use this ability on this enemy. But like if you're fighting a good example that I keep that I kept uh, running to was in a priest enemy that you start fighting like halfway through the game. There were so many times where I would be the only one fighting that while the guardians were focusing on literal enemies and the problem with that mostly lies in the fact that that priest enemy heals other enemies so they were just not really helping much (laughs) i have no evidence that the guardians do any damage when they're not using abilities (laughs) so i don't know what you're complaining about it it does feel like they're just kind of wasting time when you're not actively giving them commands. I mean, you can give commands frequently enough that it didn't really bug me, but it does kind of feel like they're just doing their own thing. Yeah, I mean, I will say your issue in particular kind of sounds like not prioritizing abilities well enough, but I, I don't know. It's hard to say. It does feel like there should be some option to just highlight an enemy and click a button that says, like, attack this one or whatever. But, I mean, you do still have control to some extent, so. And you, Star-Lord also has his own abilities that do, can do, like, pretty good damage and stuff like that. Uh, They're really hard to remember to use, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, because you have to click the left stick to use them, which I'm not thinking about that. You also can, uh, to go into the ability menus for the Guardians, uh, you hold L1. If you go into that, there'll also be a prompt on there that's like, press L3 for Star-Lord's abilities. Yeah, I'm never gonna think about pressing L3. Yeah, that's usually how I remembered, oh wait, I have my own abilities. There are only two appropriate uses for clicking the sticks, and that's crouching and running. Anything else is an abomination. You know, we, we've sort of hit on some of the specifics, but I would still say overall I, I liked the combat, but it was more just the driving force to get you through to the story stuff. Like, yeah. I was never, like, I never loved the combat. It was just good enough where I didn't get bored between the story stuff. My yeah. bigger issue with the combat is it just feels like it's gating story stuff. It All of yeah. the combat arenas feel very samey. There's, you know, one combat arena type per per chapter, and all of the other combat arenas are going to look pretty similar to that one. I mean, there are a couple of, like, set pieces that kind of are different, but it doesn't really feel like the environments are interesting, and it doesn't feel like there are contextual abilities that the different Guardians can use on, you know, items in the environment, but... Other than that, it doesn't really feel like the environment matters. And it doesn't affect how you play, I guess, is the issue with that. Yeah. There's no contextual yeah. things for a Star-Lord to do. It's just, you look at this vent and press Y, or, you know, triangle Y, whatever the top button is, and Rocket will throw a grenade into it or something. But, like, I'm not really doing anything. Other than that, it just feels like you have, like, different tiers that the ground can be on. Which, I mean, that's pretty basic, simple stuff, but... I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's used very effectively. It's only, like, enemies will all run towards you or one of the Guardians unless they're the enemy that stays on top and shoots you. (laughs) 
Yeah, there's not a whole lot of difference in like AI priority for enemies. I wish the game was harder as well. Uh, I only I think the only times I died was on like the penultimate, the you know the next to last boss fight, and every other boss or every other fight just kind of felt like a cakewalk more or less. Especially if you use you know the guardian's abilities well, and then over time there's a bar that builds up that lets you use the huddle ability where you call all the guardians in and you give them a pep talk, and like it's a cool idea. One, it takes so long, <laughs> like ten, like literally ten times as long as it should. Yeah, because they all come up and then at least two of them say a voice line and kind of give you an idea of what they're thinking, uh, and then you have to pick the right pep talk there's only two options pick the one that has the words from the background on it the only time that there's more than two options in a uh, conversation is whenever you find an item out in the world and you take it back to the milano to talk about it to a team member and the third option is just uh leave conversation yeah (laughs) yeah but then once you use that huddle then for a while all of the guardians can just use their abilities without cooldown and then it takes the game which is already pretty easy and then if you use that whenever you run into any trouble, then suddenly all the troubles go away. I just totally stopped using the huddle after the first couple times because it just took too long. I used it during boss fights the most. Yeah, I did decide to use it. Uh, so after you do the huddle, it starts playing one of the songs from the game soundtrack, which are mostly 80s. Well, <laughs> I decided to do it on the last boss fight going into like his last phase or whatever because I thought, like you know, this seems like the the time that it would happen in fiction so i did it and uh to my bewilderment and delight uh, i'm in the middle of this big you know final boss everything in the game leading up to this cuts to the huddle they talk it break out and it starts playing the song wake me up before you go go (laughs) (laughs) which starts very slowly with just some snapping so (laughs) So I wish the song uh, would continue playing after you finish the fight, too. Yeah. As soon as you're yeah. done with combat, it just ends. So if you use the huddle and then, you know, there's only like two or three enemies left, song just ends. You hear like two seconds of song and that's it. Just a hard cut away from it. And I, I think that kind of is part of my issue. It always feels like the combat is just, it's just to stop the narrative for a moment. It doesn't ever really feel like the combat, except for boss fights. The, the combat always just feels like something that's completely holding you up and stopping the narrative. It's like, how many times are they going to run into something that they have to fight all the enemies before they can leave? Well, that's a lot of Guardians talk. So let's just kind of circle back in on this. Would you guys recommend this game? Yeah. If you like video games, um, play it. Yeah. Unless you only like uh, shooters, like PvP shooters, then then don't yeah unless you're the type that just has no patience for single player like narrative heavy games which i get uh unless you're that type of person this game probably has something you'll like in it like it's you know really good story really interesting characters really wild world that they're all in it feels very good even if sometimes the combat does not (laughs) and like this is a pretty pretty solid outing for the guardians characters like i i liked it i honestly it's the most surprised i've been by a game this year which is very high praise considering that there have been a lot of big surprises this year and i had really low expectations for this game after how bad avengers was yeah i i would say i'd recommend it overall um it does suffer from 
adventure game-itis, or perhaps you might prefer Uncharted Syndrome, where there's a lot of just random platforming or squeezing through a tight crevice or... (laughs) There's a lot of Just walking down a long hallway that gets old after a while. Uh, It also is really annoying that sometimes the Guardians will be talking and then you'll get to a story trigger or something like that, and they'll say they'll just completely cut off what they were already talking about and instead talk about whatever the new story thing is, and they'll never go back to it, which is always kind of a shame because you're missing out on, you know, unique dialogue. (laughs) The only way to get to do it or to see that dialogue again is to play through the whole level. Yeah, that's actually one thing I'm kind of bummed about because I would go back and try and platinum this game. But the problem is you have to restart a chapter completely from scratch every time you want to go back and replay something. And some of them are quite long or have a lot of just really long like walk and talk scenes. And if you already know what they're going to say and you're not waiting for different dialogue options, there's not a whole lot to come back to. Yeah, this game doesn't really seem like it has any replayability. So if that's a big thing for you, you know, just come in expecting one playthrough, maybe two if you want to make, you know, different decisions and see how that affects the game. But I I don't really see myself ever coming back to this game, which I I think is something it's it's worth mentioning. I still think it's worth playing once like it's good enough for that. But I, I just I think replayability is something that a lot of adventure games are lacking and this one isn't any different. <laughs> yeah. I'd say for me, it took me about 16 hours to finish this game. And I think it was 15 hours of a very cool experience. <laughs> so, you know, I still think most people will, will get will get a lot out of it, even if they do just play it the one time. And it's not, you know, it's not the biggest time sink in the world compared to other recent release video games. But we've got a lot of other stuff we got to get into. So... We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with all the headlines. Folks, we got some big news for one of the biggest games of 2020. I'm, of course, talking about the mega-hit Marvel's Avengers. We found out this week, things aren't going so great there. What? Which came as a shock to me, but let's get into why. Some time ago... The developers said that they were going to be adding paid XP buffs to the game, to which fans said, why? And at first, they were adamant about the fact that this is not a pay-to-win feature. But the problem is, it absolutely was, because it was straight up giving your characters experience, which made them stronger. And this is a game that takes a real long time to grind out those character levels so does it even have pvp no it does not it's like ah it's not pay to win because you can win without it technically speaking checkmate (laughs) so they have now decided after fan backlash that they will be cutting the xp buffs but they're still saying it wasn't pay to win so they don't know what everybody is so upset about They basically came out and said, look, I don't get what the big deal is, but we'll take them out, I guess. They had to pretend that like what they were putting in the game was just for like, this will help you enjoy the video game more, and is not just a very greedy tactic where you have to pay real money for a game you already paid money on just to enjoy it the way you should have been able to enjoy it at launch. They've also, they raised the XP caps and all that. 
Or they made it to where it's harder to level up. Yeah. Like, you need more XP per level now. Yeah. It's like the whole game is just based around getting as much money from people as possible. But then the only thing you could buy for the longest time was cosmetics. The game's been pay to win since the start, considering that you can buy the uh, the battle passes for each character. And like, I know that you can earn those with money in game, but they still have bonuses like, you know, additional resources and money and stuff. Like, it was never not pay to win. Yeah. Couldn't you couldn't you use the paid currency to advance further in the battle pass anyways? I believe so, yeah. Like you could just straight up skip over parts of it. Yeah. Nothing about this game really sat right with me pretty much right from the get-go. But it turns out that it wasn't just us that was critical. According to the Square Enix president, they're now saying that Avengers was, quote, not as successful as we would have liked and is, quote, disappointing. And to that I say... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of funny to have to see the big wigs that make the decisions for this game, specifically the ones that I'm sure made it as aggressively monetized as it is, have to step back and be like, you know, we might have dropped the ball on this one. On the other hand, they're finally adding Spider-Man, only to, you know, PlayStation. Very disappointing for anybody that doesn't have the game on PlayStation. It's also disappointing for the implications of the character for the PlayStation users as well, because you know he's not going to matter for, like, the extended story or anything. Because he's going to have to be completely confined to these specific PlayStation-centric things. Well, I don't think any of the characters are important to the story. It's kind of the thing, except for the individual DLCs that they're introduced. I think they're all written so you can use any hero on any mission. Which means that nothing actually important can happen with any of the characters. Unless it's a DLC based around the character. It seems like they put a lot of work into Spider-Man for him to only be available to one-third of the player base and, you know, not ever going to do anything in the story. I don't know. I'm still on the fence on whether I'll even give him a shot. So, that's that. Well, I'm tired of talking about Avengers. Everyone is. Let's jump over to a studio that never lets us down. Everyone's favorite company, Activision Blizzard, has some bad news again. Shocking. Not that bad. Honestly, comparatively, not very bad news. Normally, when you think bad news coming from these guys, it's like, at this point, the only thing truly shocking would have to be, like, a murder. blowing up one of their facilities or something. Like, this is just, thankfully, regular game developer bad news. Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4, both of which were revealed not long after the big CCP controversy with uh, Hong Kong and, you know, Blizzard clearly chose a side, and that side wasn't America and Freedom. Yeah. Uh, both of those games have been delayed to at least 2022. Which, and not even release dates within that time frame. With all of the executives and people leaving the company following this past year. <laughs> <laughs> Their whole deal. Yeah. And also, these games were revealed entirely too early. Like, they were revealed just to cover up everything, that all the bad publicity they were getting leading into BlizzCon. So they decided at BlizzCon they were going to reveal all this big stuff. They were going to, you know, pull, put on a real show. Well, it turns out that they were just doing it to cover for themselves because not, there is nothing substantial to back up what they revealed at all. Like, no indication these games are near, near finished. See, it's crappy because I actually really like both of these franchises. And I probably would have even played Diablo Immortal because I do waste too much time on mobile games. But after everything that's happened with Activision Blizzard in the last year, 
Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 went from being really highly anticipated games for me to games that I do not plan to play at all. It, like, they've completely, completely ruined any hope for me buying their products, which I know I would enjoy just because of how horrible this company has handled literally everything for the last year. I mean, much longer than that, but that we've known about for the last year. There was a time when I thought the worst news that would ever come from Blizzard was they got bought by Activision, but they've managed to get worse news every year since. Okay, that's enough of that. Jackson, you've been quiet. Tell us about this next story. So, you know that good old game Mario Kart 8? No, I never heard of it. Been out since, uh, like, 2013 because they refused to make a new one? Well, it's the best-selling Mario Kart of all time. And I think it's one of the top five highest-selling Switch games, too. <laughs> so it is the highest-selling Mario Kart game. It is the highest-selling Switch game. It is the highest-selling racing game. This game has put out so many units. If you look up Mario Kart... I accidentally looked up Mario Kart 9 instead of 8. Uh, if you look that up, you see a bunch of really garbage articles, uh, including one that says that it's coming to Switch quarter 3, 2021. So keep an eye out for that a couple months ago. Yeah. Uh, and then this other article, and these articles are all from, you know, mid to late 2021. This one says, uh, it's not coming on to Switch, so we need DLC for 8. It is wild to look at the total number of units sold compared to the Switch units sold, because they're, they're currently sitting at over 38 million copies of Mario Kart 8, and almost 90 million Switches. So, like... 40% of people that own a Switch own this game. And there is there have not been many games like that on any console ever. <laughs> like, this is a quintessential Switch game. <laughs> wow. Can't believe you would just say that about Wii Sports. Well, that is not a pack-in. <laughs> Pack-ins. Now let's get into that a little bit. The greatest <laughs> pack-in game of all time was obviously the hit Wii U game, Nintendo World. I know what you're thinking. That wasn't a pack-in game. Also, it was called Nintendo Land. But it's the only pack-in game that didn't come with the console. Yep. That actually reminds me. There was this one incredibly weird Xbox pack-in, like original Xbox pack-in, where it came with uh, two games... And I'm trying to find what one of them was even called. Okay, yeah. So it came with a Star Wars game and the game Eggmania. <laughs> now, if you're wondering what Eggmania is, there's literally no way I can put this into words that will make even a little bit of sense to you. But look it up, because it's insane. Which Star Wars game was it? Star Wars The Clone Wars. Yeah, it came with Star Wars The Clone Wars and Eggmania. Definitely the weirdest combination I've seen. You know what? I'm going to expand on this a little bit more. I miss back in the day when you could buy one game disc that came with two games. Yeah. It would just be two games that they didn't think would sell very well by themselves, so they would sell them together. Like, uh, I remember, I think it was Sega GT and Jet Set Radio Future, <laughs> and you could just you could just buy one, one yeah. case, and it was, you know, 50 or 60, however much video games were then. And it had both games in it. And Jet Set Radio Future is amazing. And I think that's the only way that you've ever been able to buy that game. Because it, it was never re-released on anything. Actually, I was just looking at it. I was wrong. So that Xbox pack-in came with three games. It came with Star Wars The Clone Wars and Tetris Worlds on one disc. 
and then came with Eggmania as a separate game. <laughs> so, like, even weirder combination. We don't get that these days. The Switch, even if you buy a special edition that's themed after a certain game, you just don't get that game with it. Wasn't the Jet Set Radio Future slash Sega GT, wasn't it also a demo disc? I think it did have some other stuff on it, yeah. That was wild. You never see yeah. stuff like that anymore. <laughs> well, we couldn't get out of this Guardians episode with at least without at least mentioning that Chris Pratt has struck again. Bum, bum, he will bum. be playing me. In my autobiography movie. Following the big news that he's going to be playing Mario in the Mario movie, and the bigger news that he's going to play Jackson in his autobiography, we're here to tell you that he's also going to be playing Garfield in the new Garfield movie. The new Garfield autobiography. Don't really have too much to say about this. I just wanted to bring it up because we were already talking about Guardians. I'm kind of bummed that he's playing Mario because I feel obligated to still see the Mario movie. I don't care about him playing Garfield. I can just not watch this Garfield movie. <laughs> you think he's voicing Clifford in the new Clifford movie? <laughs> You're just being ridiculous now. Clifford is obviously a dog. Clifford is obviously Alan Tudyk. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, Chris, just keep churning them out, bud. This can only go well for you. <laughs> At what point are we going to hit critical mass? Christical mass. <laughs> We're uncomfortably close to that already, I'm afraid. Like, I think next year he's going to be in, like, five different major releases, so we're probably pretty dang close to that. All right, well, that sucks. Let's move on to the next story. Let's jump over to another company that's just been knocking it out of the park. I'm talking about Rockstar. They finally got us that GTA trilogy we've been clamoring for. You know, the and, same uh, one that they released on the Xbox a long time ago. Yeah. The 360 <laughs> and the PS3. Yep. And now they've released those games again, and this time they somehow made it worse. We finally get the remasters of these three iconic games, and the development team clearly did not have enough time on this, and we were left with such a middle-of-the-road product in every capacity that it's all just wrong. It's not even necessarily middle-of-the-road, it's just bad in a lot of ways. Like, the issue isn't just the character models have a new style to them, it's that the character models... Some of them have a new style to them and look fine, and then other ones look absolutely terrible. <laughs> and, like, textures aren't loading properly. They straight up still had, like, development files in the released version of the game, including, like, songs that they didn't have licenses for. Uh, yeah. The big one is, like, Running From the Night, Lionel Richie. They have, his, they have one of his songs on there that they have not had the rights to ever since the first remaster. Like, it's on, the only the only game that it's actually, like, licensed to be in was the original release of uh, GTA San Andreas, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. And that's somehow in this game. It, there's a whole bunch of issues like that. And then, of course, I haven't seen anything one way or the other, but this was a big issue with the original release of San Andreas with the uh, the hot coffee controversy. The what? Uh, San Andreas had a sex minigame. It was not supposed to be uh, in the actual release of the game. And then people found a way. Like, the files were still there, so people re-enabled it. And then it was a huge controversy. But, yeah, there's, like, a lot of, like, graphical issues. Uh, A lot of people have pointed out that the rain is, like, so opaque that it makes the game unplayable to a point when it's raining. And you can't mod the game, so you can't fix it. (laughs) A lot of textures load improperly. 
I, I don't know. I've seen a lot of bad examples of that. Of just, like, two textures loading where one should be. It makes you wonder how aware they were it would get the reception that it was. Because they pulled the previous ones from online marketplaces several days before the launch. Which clearly shows they weren't wanting people just to, you know, buy the previous one. Which I guess at first we were all kind of assuming was just a cost thing. They don't want people buying the cheaper version. But turns out they just didn't want people buying the actually good version. (laughs) Yeah, apparently this remaster is the same company uh, that did the remasters for mobile devices that people really didn't like. They renamed themselves because of how poorly the reception was to those mobile de- or to those mobile ports. Uh, but <laughs> apparently, Rockstar didn't see a reason to stop working with them. I think that's about all we got, though. This time, it's my turn to say that we're gonna frickin' pull the dang plug. Jackson, what else you been into? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, but but not not the game, the movie. Uh, because of playing the game, I decided to rewatch the first and second movies. I still love them. The, the first one, definitely in like my top three MCU movies. It's just like, it's great. <laughs> the second one, like still good. Um, don't like it even nearly as much as the first one though. I prefer the second one. I think it's a really interesting character study on their new Star-Lord. And I really, really like it. See, I like, there's a lot that I think the second one does better. But there's also uh, just a lot more that I think it does worse than the first one. The only thing I can think of that I honestly feel like the second one does worse is how they handle Drax. Everything else is better, in my opinion. I, like, I really like it. It feels, my it's a more personal my, story to the Guardians themselves. It focuses on their relationships more than the first movie did. You know, it, it's My, not see, I, suffering from origin storyitis where every character has to have an explanation for why they're here and all that. My problem with it is that the first one feels more like a Star Wars movie, while the second one feels more like an MCU movie. And I wish, like, if I think if they would have kept that feel for the second one, I would have liked it much better. Guardians 2 is probably the least MCU movie in the MCU, next to, like... I think it's one of the most MCU movies. No, it doesn't even... It's, like, more of a... It's, like, a comedy focus more than the first one, but... Nah. It actually has, like, a focus on individual characters instead of just setting up what's next in the world. It feels like a real fun adventure. I, I don't know. I don't think it... I mean, it does... Like, it's still a good movie. Uh, I just, I feel like the first one is a lot different than the second one. Yeah, and I think that saying that the second one feels more like an MCU movie is a huge disservice to the second one. I mean, I don't think that means it's bad. Yeah, but the second one, I just think the that, first one follows think, the formula, right? Like, to a T. The second one actually kind of, like, mixes things up a little bit in interesting ways. Like, I, I really like the second one. Yeah, I mean, the, the second one's pretty good, but, like, the first one felt different than everything else we'd seen in the MCU, and the second one didn't. I need to rewatch the second one. These last, like, four minutes are the most I've ever been checked out of this podcast. Jason, wow. what have you been into? 
Well, the DLC for Animal Crossing came out a while, a couple weeks ago now. So I've been getting on that Animal Crossing grind. I finally actually sat down and beat the game. So I I watched uh, I watched that dog play guitar. <laughs> uh, and now that I unlocked all of the tools that let me actually make my island better, <laughs> I've been basically moving every single villager around on my island and putting like walkways down and stuff like that. And uh, I definitely enjoy that part more than most of the pre-beating the game stuff in Animal Crossing. On top of that, the DLC's out now, and I've had a little bit of fun with that. Honestly, the DLC's mostly just based around, like, building houses and vacation homes for for people, which isn't really the part of Animal Crossing that I'm super into, so I'm not super loving the DLC. But, like, a lot of the new quality of life changes that they've brought to the game are very nice, and definitely kind of, like, stuff like accent walls and being able to have things hanging from the ceiling, I think it makes decorating that decorating my own home more interesting i just don't really care that much about decorating other people's homes it's more just how much quicker you can do things and the new routes you have to make your life more convenient that have me more interested in the game again than the actual dlc does um which like the dlc has some good ideas but from everything i've read about it and from actually watching some people play it it doesn't seem like it is quite as expansive as I was hoping and not quite as rewarding, but it still seems like a pretty good time to jump back in. So I'm definitely planning to do that very soon. Yeah, it's a good time. Plus uh, keeping up with the turnip market. That's been my main thing, keeping me into Animal Crossing, giving me a reason to check in every day. It's good fun. The game's a lot more fun when you're rich and you can just buy things and build things whenever you want. Um, And... It really seems like the turnip market is the best way to make money in the game, even if it you know takes a while. Pretty much guaranteed uh, income, at the very least, every week. Even if you do have to wait a while before you can actually realize any of the income. But uh, that's about all for me. Jordan, what you been up to? Let's talk about a little movie called Eternals. The newest in the MCU... And at one point, we were even thinking about doing an episode about it. But, well, one, tech issues. And two, I don't really know how I would talk about this movie. Because, like, it's alright. You know, has some cool stuff going on for it. Has some very weird, uncomfortable dialogue moments. But, like, overall not bad. You know, better than I expected it to be. Um, a little too on the nose with some of the symbolism. <laughs> Uh, There's this character, Makari, who is deaf in the movie, and she speaks exclusively through sign language, which I think is is pretty interesting. And then whenever whenever anyone's talking to her, they're also using sign language, uh, which is it's pretty cool to see in like a AAA movie having a deaf yeah. character. I don't know if the yeah. actress is deaf. I haven't looked into that, but uh, There's, she, is. she is. There's actually been a a pretty yeah. big uptick in people like starting the process of learning ASL since this movie. So like that's pretty cool. It's also interesting because the character, she has uh, super speed. Uh, so it actually kind of makes sense for her character to be deaf because she'd constantly be breaking the sound barrier. I actually really liked most of the Eternals themselves. I think they were definitely some of the better realized characters in the MCU. Like, not so much the main three that the movie focuses on. 
but I think that the rest of the team were handled a lot better than the secondary characters normally are in Marvel movies. Still a little wishy-washy with, like, the implications that beings this powerful that have just been on Earth, (laughs) you know, (laughs) what that means for the MCU as a whole. But, you know, if if you're the type of person where you've seen every movie in the MCU... This will not be the one to finally disappoint you, which is sort of what I was expecting of it. <laughs> yeah, that movie would be Thor The Dark World. Well, yes, but... <laughs> but Maybe Iron Man 2? But Iron Man 2 was early enough, where like I feel like it didn't really... It wasn't established in a way that it could really ruin the anything for you, or disappoint True. you too much. You didn't really know what you were going into at that point. Also, I do have to say, though... Uh, the justification for why the Eternals didn't help with, like, fighting Thanos is pretty weak. Yeah. Like, it's one thing if, like, they can't get involved with purely human struggles. But, like, that was a universe-ending calamity if it, you know, hadn't been undone. And, like... Also, presumably, Thanos killed half of the Celestials. Actually, uh, the director, Chloe Zhao has said the Celestials cannot be snapped. Or at least in that snap, they were not snapped. Okay. It's pretty cool that... Uh, yeah. Actually, uh, you know what? Not, it's, I'm not even going to joke. It, that doesn't mean anything. First off, <laughs> Chloe Zhao doesn't make those decisions, for one. But then on top of that, like... Look, if, there, if there's a snap that happens, ending 50% of life throughout the universe... There's a 50-50 shot you're going to go, unless you're a Celestial or a founding member of the Avengers. Then you're safe. <laughs> but, okay, so the do the Eternals, did any... None of them got snapped. No. I mean, yeah. Never really. Is that ever explicitly said? I feel like they would have brought not, it up. Not in the movie. It's just said by the director. The okay. director can make those decisions. <laughs> yeah. You can say I mean, I think whether a lot any of, the of times, your characters got snapped, but you can't just be like... I mean, I think a lot of times stuff like that does happen in the MCU. Because, like, they had to rewrite Thor's role in um in Infinity War because of how he was changed in Ragnarok. Uh, the big thing I'm pointing out, and you can cut this from the episode, is uh, this, uh, the Eternals aren't living. Are they living things? No, I guess I think not. they're robots. Yeah. Are the Celestials living things? Are they robots? Both? Do they dream I mean, of they, electric they, sheep? I mean, they do talk in Guardians of the Galaxy how, like, nowhere the head of the Celestial is used. Why? Like, it's it's used to, like, harvest, like, brain tissue and stuff. So, yeah, I guess. Who knows? This is all confusing. Anyways, yeah. if you're the type where you've been really into the MCU, Eternals isn't bad. I don't think there's much here for anyone that isn't keeping up with other MCU stuff, though. So, you know, don't bother if you weren't bothering with all the other stuff. (laughs) But that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, you have a whole bunch of ways you can do that. We're on Twitter, at TBMCast. On Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. You can send us an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Send us your suggestions for the show, your own personal reviews, anything and everything you want to share with us. We're happy to hear it, and we will engage how we can. 
if you send us a review, we might even read it on the on the podcast. So we do hope you'll drop us a line. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>